Okay, so we're reading from page 602. It's Psalm 95, page 602. Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands forms the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great privilege that we have to come together and meet together in church. Thank you for the Bible that you speak to us through it, and thank you particularly for this psalm. And we ask that as we Look at it together that we would learn from it, both for our benefit, but particularly for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder if someone asked you, um, what do you go to church to do? Um, or someone asked you, sort of, why, why do you go to church? What, what would you say? Just, just think just for a moment to yourself and be honest, be honest with yourself. How would you... How would you answer that? What do you go to church to do? Why do you come to church? Just give you a moment just to think of what you might say. Okay, well, we're looking at, um, as most of you know, if you've been coming uh, during the summer to church, we've been looking at various psalms during these summer months. Uh, the psalms, it's a great collection of, of things, of songs and poems that talk about all sorts of aspects of life. Um, and in our program today, the title that's been given to Psalm 95 that we're looking at is uh, Getting Close to God. Psalm 95 is, encourages us to do that. It uh, is encouraging us to get close to God. And I hope that's one of the reasons why we come to church. If you're someone who's uh, been coming to an Anglican church for a long time, and perhaps particularly if you're a bit more used to sort of formal um, prayer book type of worship, then this psalm will be very familiar to you because it happens every day, every, every Sunday in morning worship. When uh, Archbishop Cranmer and the people in the, 15, in the 16th century, in the mid-1500s, when they wrote the prayer book, they put this prayer, this psalm, in a very prominent position in, in the order of service for morning worship. And we're going to look at the good reasons why they did that. Um, it's interesting, too, to uh, think about... Uh, 
the fact that in morning prayer, when uh, we might think, you know, the prayer book, this little thing, we have some, we still have some services that use this um, in our church, but we might think, oh, it has all these old-fashioned things in it, and it also has uh, readings for, uh, for the whole year, for every day, two readings, the readings to go through in the morning and in the evening. And the reason Cranber and the others did that was because they wanted people to be able to hear and understand the Bible. They wanted people to know what the Bible said, because up till that time people had read it in, or hadn't read it, had heard it in Latin, didn't really understand it. Not even the, the clergy didn't understand it. So in the, uh, in the 1662, sort of slightly later version of the prayer book, it says, in the, it says in the introduction that it is the great aim that the whole Bible, or the greatest part of it, should be read over once per every year to the benefit of clergy and people. So if you came to church in the sort of late 1600s, 1700s, and you came every day and you came twice a day, then you'd actually hear the whole Bible eventually read out. Um, and that was what, uh, what Cranmer and others wanted to, be, to happen. But, but this psalm, the Venite, it's uh, called in the church, really, it's called Venite just because that's the Latin name for come, um, that psalm, whereas the whole Bible was just read sort of once over through the year, this psalm appeared every morning in morning worship, in, in the, in the uh, order of service morning prayer. Every morning except on Easter day upon which an anthem was appointed. So why should this psalm, what's so special about this psalm that people going to church and people who went to church every day heard it every day right at the start of morning worship? The reason is because it's a tremendous encouragement to tell us some of the things that we come to church to do. And as we're going to look at this psalm together, we're going to see that it's an invitation to us to sing God's praises, and it's an invitation also to listen to God's word. Um, as I say, it was a daily reminder, and perhaps for lots of people in the Church of England, it's still a weekly reminder. But... Um, you might have thought, as Matthew read that, uh, read the psalm to us, when you came to the second part from verse 8 onwards, you might have thought, hmm, oh, don't know about this bit, that's a bit more, bit more tricky, talking about um, all this sort of nasty stuff, about God being angry and so on, and God's wrath. And I suppose it's because of that that uh, nowadays, and certainly so, whereas you know, in the old prayer book it was there and you said the whole lot, Nowadays, in, uh, in other later versions of the prayer book, and certainly in common worship, which is the sort of form of prayer for the Church of England today, those last, fill, those last verses are optional. There's brackets around them. You can leave them out if you like. You don't have to say those bits. Um, but, of course, that misses completely misses the point of what the psalm is about. It misses out that this is a vital part of the psalm. So we're going to look at it and see how it's really why, why Cranmer and people put it there, because it is to us an invitation. It's an invitation to sing God's praises, and then it's an invitation to listen to God's word. So if, you, if you've still got it open, hopefully on page 602, Psalm 95, we're going to look at the first section from verses 1 to 7 in, in two parts, because we're encouraged to sing God's praises, but we're also encouraged to bow down. And then when we come to the last section, we'll hear how we're also encouraged to hear. So when we come together in church, I hope we come together to encourage each other. Come, the psalm says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. 
let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Come on, let's sing. Let's sing to the Lord. Let's make a joyful noise. Let's come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let's make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Do you want to do that? Is that what you want to do when you come to church? And then you might say, well, why, why should we be encouraging each other to do that? Why do we sing? And verse 2 tells us that we have much to be thankful for. Well, verses 3 to 5 tell us that it's the natural response. Let me just read those verses again. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. It's the natural response to want to sing, to praise God, when we realize who he is, what he's done. And those verses, they remind us that he's a great God. He is the great God. Verse 3 tells us he's a God, he's a God as a king above all gods. And we might not think of other gods in the way that people in the past or even today in other cultures think of gods. So I guess we don't think of the sun or the moon as God or we don't think of animals as somehow having deity or we're not like the people of North Korea who have to think of their leader as a god or we don't think of other inanimate objects perhaps as gods and yet we still and if, if we don't, certainly in our secular culture, we still have idols. We have things or people that can so easily take the place of God that take greater importance in our lives than the Lord. But what this psalm is saying is it doesn't matter what, what you might think of God is, whether it's one of these things like the sun or the moon or whether it's your car or whatever it is, God is so much greater. You can't begin to compare how great God is with any other so-called God. God is completely in a league, can't even call it a league of his own, it's completely way beyond, no comparison whatsoever. God is king. And then in verses 4 and 5, we see that God is great because he's also the creator and the sustainer of the world and the whole created order. As John Stock put it, every dimension is included to show that nothing is beyond the dominion of God. The depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains, and the broad expanses in sea and land are all his. Nothing, nothing is beyond God's dominion. God created them all. This God of ours, he created them all, and he continues to control the natural order. Many of the other Psalms, of course, tell us as well, don't they, about how wonderful creation is. If you were here right at the start of our series on the Psalms when Clive was talking from Psalm 19, you'll remember how we thought there that the first half of that Psalm talks about the heavens declaring the glory of God. So what an amazing, what an amazing God we have, this great God, this great God who's supreme in heaven, who's supreme on the earth. The psalm says, sing to him, sing gladly, praise him, praise him with your songs, come joyfully and gladly to do that. But then, let's just read verses 6 and 7. Come, let us bow down in worship, let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, 
And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. God isn't just a great God that we can marvel at from an enormous distance. This God, the psalm tells us, verse 7, is our God. Because he's the one who, verse 2 has told us, has rescued us. He's the one who saved us. He's the one, he's the rock on whom we can completely depend. So no wonder the psalm says, come, in verse 2, come with thanksgiving. It's also very personal, isn't it? Our God, the God who cares for us as individuals, as individuals who together make up his flock, the people of his pasture. The Lord Jesus is the good shepherd, as we read in John chapter 10, the good shepherd who cares for his people. And or as the parable in Luke 19 reminds us that God is like the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep who were safely uh, in safety. He leaves them in safety while he goes off in search of the one sheep that is lost until he finds it. It's also personal, this relationship we can have with God. <clears throat> it's really remarkable, isn't it, that this, this God who is this great, amazing, incredible God yet can be our God. And that's why, as well as calling us to come and sing joyful praise, the psalm also invites us to bow down before the Lord, to bow down to him in worship, kneeling before the Lord our maker. And it's good for us to think about that, isn't it? It's good about to think about that, what attitude we have when we come to God, when we come together in church, as well as being joyful, do we also come with a humble attitude? Do we also come knowing that we're completely unworthy and that we're coming before this great God? Liz and I recently um, visited Buckingham Palace. Um, we weren't invited, I'm afraid. We, uh, we paid our money and along with the crowds went along and visited the state rooms and the exhibition of the Queen's dresses over 90 years well worth going to. But if you had an invitation, unlike us just paying to go in, if you had an invitation to go to see the Queen, perhaps to be given an award or an honour, you wouldn't uh, breeze in singing and shouting excitedly, would you? But you'd go respectfully bowing, curtsying, or even kneeling. If that's how we might approach the Queen, how much more when we come to God, the great God who wonderfully can still be called our God. So it's right that we come to him with respect and with awe. <clears throat> and so again, I just ask ourselves, what sort of attitude do we have? What sort of attitude do you have as we come As the rather corny saying says, we don't come to God almighty, but we come to God almighty. And of course, different churches have different styles, and that's fine. You know, different styles of music, different styles, different degrees of formality or informality, different ways of doing things, and that's all okay. But what this psalm reminds us is that there should be joyful praise, but also space for awe and wonder. Well, in this first section of the psalm, verses 1 to 7, it's the congregation, uh, God's people, who are encouraging each other to come 
and to sing, to come and to bow down in worship. But as we come to look now at the invitation to listen to God's word, in this second part, the speaker changes, and it's no longer uh, the congregation, but God who's speaking to his people. So let's just read these last few verses again. So from just the end of verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where the fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation, and I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Before we look a bit more closely at these verses, it's um, good just to think about the context of this psalm. The psalms, as uh, John Ellison reminded us a couple of weeks ago, are made up of five books. And Psalm 95 is part of book four. And like many of the other psalms in book four, um, it refers back to the exodus. The exodus of the Israelites from, uh, from Egypt, from their time of slavery. It may have been written some considerable time after the Exodus, quite possibly in the time of King David, so several hundred years later. But it looks back to that time of the Exodus, and it's saying to the people who are singing this psalm, who are reading it, who are thinking about it, saying, learn the lessons from the past, listen to the warnings in Scripture. Listen to the warnings that you have in the Scriptures that you have, because they would have had the first books of the Bible probably when this psalm was written. So Israelites coming to worship in David or Solomon's time are being told, you too, just like them back then, you too need to listen to God's word. You need to listen to his voice and you need to do it today. So what are the events that uh, these verses are talking about at the time of the Exodus? Um, The Exodus and the events that uh, happened that followed it, they're recorded in those early books in the Bible, particularly in Uh, Exodus and the books of Exodus and Numbers as well as in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the Israelites had been they'd been rescued from slavery in Egypt they'd been brought out from Egypt in spectacular you know spectacular fashion all those plagues you know about that all those plagues culminating in that last awful plague which was then remembered each year as the Passover and then this uh, sort of rushed, amazing departure from Egypt, and then their um, wonderful escape from Pharaoh's army as they crossed the Red Sea. What an amazing, what an amazing rescuing God they had. This God who was great, but also personal, because I guess verse 6 is saying he was their maker, referring not so much to God's creation, but he'd made them as a people. He'd made them into his people. So they had so much to be thankful for. But you might like to turn to Exodus, um, to Exodus chapter 15 on page 72. They're right at the start of chapter 15. Exodus uh, 15 on page 72. They've just come across, they've escaped from Egypt, they've come across the Red Sea. And then it says there at the start of verse 15, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. And there's a song of great praise as they sing sing praise to God. But what happened then? Within such a short space of time, they'd forgotten and they started grumbling. 
And if you just turn over a page to Exodus chapter 17 on page 75, I'll just read verses 1 to 7. This is only a matter of weeks or a month or so after that amazing delivery from Egypt. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses, and they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff and with, you, uh, with which you struck the Nile and go. I'll stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa. And you see that Massa means testing. And he also called it Meribah, which means quarreling because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Well, if you know the story, you'll know that they, as they wandered through the wilderness, they carried on rebelling against God and turning away from God. And eventually, they had to spend 40 years wandering around until all the adults who had left Egypt had died. None of those who left Egypt, except for Joshua and Caleb, would get to the promised land. God had said, as verse 11 of our psalm tells us, they shall never enter my rest. But despite earlier warnings, so that incident we've just read about in Exodus, that happened pretty early on after their departure from Egypt. Despite the earlier warnings, their rebellion, they carried on rebelling. And even towards the end of the 40 years, wondering, there was a second Meribah, a second place that's called quarreling, you turn to page 157 in Numbers chapter 20. They never learnt. So Numbers 20 verse, verse 2. Now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and they quarreled with Moses and they said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring us the Lord? Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, Take the staff. And you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring bring you water out of this rock? And Moses raised his arm, struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. 
But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, so another place called quarreling, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he showed himself holy among them. So as this psalm was being sung in David's time, the message was, those people, your ancestors, all those years ago, they rebelled, they didn't listen. But you today, you listen to God's voice. Don't be like those people. I mentioned earlier, didn't I, that when this psalm is sung or said as the Venite, that these last verses, verses 7, end of 7 onwards, are often omitted. But that, as I said, completely misses the point of the psalm. And particularly because when we look into the New Testament, we find that this part of the psalm, this this second part, is quoted very significantly. In Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, the writer keeps quoting from this psalm, and the writer of the Hebrews is using these verses to help, uh, to call his readers to hold fast. He doesn't want them to give up on their Christian faith. So just one more page to turn to, into the New Testament to Hebrews chapter 3, page 1202. Page 1202, Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 7. So, as the Holy Spirit says, and here he quotes from Psalm 95, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did, That's why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first, as has just been said. And then he repeats the psalm, bit of the psalm again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So a thousand years after David, after King David, the writer here, the writer in this book of Hebrews in the New Testament, At the start of the Christian era, he's saying, God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to you today. Listen to what he says in this psalm. The letter is making quite clear to the readers that this psalm is relevant to you today. 
you need to listen. And in case they missed it, he repeats it several times, doesn't he? We read it, first of all, in verse 7 there in Hebrews 3. He starts to quote from Psalm today. Then he repeats that bit again in verse 15, today, if you hear his voice. And then in chapter 4 and verse 7 again, he says, today, if you hear his voice. He keeps repeating it, today, today, today. He's saying, God is speaking to you through his word. And just as it was applicable to the first century Christian readers, a thousand or more years after this psalm was written, so it's applicable to us today as well, another 2,000 years later. To, also this, to us also, this message comes across today, today, today. Are you listening? Are you listening today to God's voice? And the warning in verse 8 and it's whether you look in Hebrews 3 or in Psalm 95, the verses are the same. Verse 8, do not harden your hearts. The warning is don't harden your hearts. In verse 10, it tells us that the people of the Exodus didn't come, didn't know God's ways, and they were always going astray. And you might say, yeah, understand that. If you don't listen to God's word and understand his ways, then you'll end up going astray. But actually, if you look carefully, verse 10 has it the other way around, the opposite order. It says, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. And it's actually true as well, isn't it? That if people, if we were like them, or if people go away from the Lord, you'll end up with a hardened heart. Keep rebelling, keep going astray against God and you'll never hear. There'll come a point if you keep going astray that you won't hear and you won't know God's ways. So it's a real warning, a real warning to us. They were the people to whom it was first written, about, or the people about whom it was first written. They were people who had seen God act in such amazing ways, hadn't they? These people, they'd, they'd seen God act at the Exodus, at the crossing of the Red Sea, and yet here they were grumbling, forgetting and wanting to have other things rather than going God's ways. It's not as if they didn't know how amazing God was. They did, but they still thought they'd rather go their own way. And because they wanted to go their own way, they didn't listen to God, and they didn't know his ways. So just Hebrews 3 verse 12 just is a warning to us again. It says, don't be like them. See to it, brothers, that none of you as a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So there's a task for all of us to do as we come to church, as we meet each other in church and in other settings, to encourage each other. And it says we're to do that as long as it's called today, in verse 13 there. It reminds us of to keep going, to keep encouraging each other, to keep following the Lord Jesus. Because one day, it will no longer be today. One day, our time will be up. I guess if you're someone here who has never trusted in the Lord Jesus, if you might say, yeah, that God is a great God, but if you're unable to say, he's my God, he's your God, then these verses also are an encouragement to you and a warning to put your trust in him and not to hang around, not to delay, to do it today. The last verse of the psalm talks about entering God's rest. 
which, as we've seen, refer to the people not entering the promised land. And Hebrews chapter 4 goes on to explain in a lot more detail about the relevance of entering God's rest. And for us, God's rest is something that we can know now, something that we can begin to, as Christian people, to know something of. But of course, it's also something that we look forward to in the future as we look forward to eternity with God. And then at the end of the section in Hebrews, at the end of the section, right at the end of Hebrews 4, comes this verse, 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. There's no doubt about the importance of taking God's word seriously, about listening carefully to God. We should never ignore um, or sideline the importance of listening to God. So as we come together in church, or I suppose I should say as we come together as church, because church, of course, is the people, not the building. So as we come together as church, this psalm, it invites us to sing joyfully, to bow humbly in worship, but also to listen to God's word, to take note and to respond. And of course, what we do communally together, it's also right to do individually. We can also do that as well on our own. And I hope we do. We can sing praises to God. Now, you might do that out loud, or if you're not much of a singer, you might do that silently in your hearts. But we can, on our own, sing praises to God alone. We can also come humbly and bow before this amazing almighty God who we come to with awe and worship. And on our own, we also should listen to God speak to us as we read his word. We've already seen in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 the call to encourage one another daily. But just in case we think that um, we could stop meeting together and just manage on our own, we could say we could do all those things on our own, Then there's another warning in Hebrews. It seems that some people to whom the writer of the Hebrew was writing had done just that. They'd given up meeting with each other. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So it's good, good to meet with each other. It's good to encourage each other regularly. Psalm 95 certainly won't let us think that we can be a private, individual Christian. So as we finish, this psalm reminds us the communal encouragement in this psalm is, come on, let's come together. Let's together sing praises. Let's sing for joy to the Lord. And it's also a communal encouragement to bow down in worship before this amazing God. And then God, through his Spirit, says to us, Today, 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 listen to my voice. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing privilege that we have to meet together Um, as your people in church and we're conscious as we do that that there are for many people around the world 
that isn't a possibility and indeed they do have to be private individual Christians and we pray for your particular help for them but where that's not necessary we thank you that we have this amazing privilege of coming together to sing your praises but also to bow down and acknowledge you as the great God that amazing the God who is our God and we thank you for your word the Bible please help us always to listen to hear you speak and to respond appropriately to you to listen to the warnings and the encouragements we thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.